Well, the way this works is that we record this, and then I go back later on and I edit out all the stuff that makes me look bad. Excellent. I could do the same for you, but it'd be an awfully short interview. You want me to sign something, right? What's that? You want me to sign something? No, I don't want you to sign anything. All right, December 18th, I'm here with Bruce and Linda Morock. We're in Sandpoint, Idaho. And uh, Bruce is going to tell us about the stupidest thing he ever did and protesting the military while you were in the military. And amazingly, those are not the same thing. Wow. Wow. So, Are you ready for both of those? The idea of the... um, Blindsiding is that you, yeah. We'll tie, we'll tie it all together. Okay. We'll, we'll start. We'll start first of all with something else though, because we don't want to get to that. We'll say that toward the end. Oh, but it does sound like fun. Yeah, yeah. And that'll give me a chance to think about the stupidest thing I've ever done. Well, it has something to do with the laws of gravity and human reaction. Oh, to that stupid. That thing. stupid thing. It's not. <laughs> it's just that I've done so many. <laughs> you wonder which one it was. Yeah. And it is not the uh, it's not the anti-military protest while in the military. You can tell us about that too, right? Yeah, because that was wise. That was yeah, uh, you know, in retrospect. Right. Okay, so Bruce is a missionary with whom? Who you, who you serve with? Well, Southside Community Church, Kokolala, Idaho. Okay. Yeah, we um, we evaluated going with the mission, and uh, in fact, at one time, Linda and I were going with a mission called Mexican Mission Ministries. And they're headquartered down in, on the border in far Texas. And uh, one thing led to another, and we ended up not going with them. And we ended up supporting a mission that was already, you know, an indigenous mission that was already uh, going in in, uh, in Mexico, uh, a mission that we had supported. The church had already supported for many, many years. So, so we ended up just going with Southside. Did you grow up at Southside? Southside mm-hmm. Church? No. You get saved through the ministry at Southside Church? No. N- no. Neither of the above. No, okay. I actually went there in 1983 as a teacher in the school. Oh, there was a school there? Yeah, there was a Southside Christian School was there for 35 years, 30, a long time. I'm assuming you were a Christian at the time? Yes, I was. All right. Yeah. So let's start back a little bit further. You uh, you didn't you didn't grow up in North Idaho? No. Where'd you grow up? Where did I grow up? Um, that's a hard question. <laughs> I'm a military brat, so I grew up everywhere. But um, I went to high school. Uh, I am a New Englander by birth, even though I left uh, shortly after I was born. And um, and then I was gone from the time I was 12 months old until the time I was 13 years old. And then we came back to New England. My dad actually retired in 1966, and uh, and we moved back up to New England. How did you get in, in Idaho? Uh, well, I got in Idaho because I was stationed when I was in the Air Force myself at Fairchild Air Force Base. Ah. And rather than go back to Boston, which is what the Air Force would have done for me, we decided to take the money and, and stay here in the Northwest. We, we just loved it. We loved Spokane and we just, we thought it was the coolest thing that you could, that uh, they called that place a city and, after coming from Boston, you know, we just, uh, we thought, this is the city. This is great. <laughs> being downtown and driving 15 minutes in any direction and being out of the city. And we just, so we loved, we liked a lot about it. Now, is that, to keep things chronological, did you become a believer before or after going into the military? Oh, no. Now, you said chronological, but you meant theological. 
Uh, I don't know. Well, Just tell me the difference. In 1974, September of 1974, I read a book. Came home from a party. I was a, a doper, uh, drug, alcohol, immorality, and so on and so forth. And I came home, and um, this, uh, actually a cousin of Linda's, was constantly leaving books around, which I was constantly throwing away. But one night, that night, I don't remember the exact date, but it was September of 1974, I sat down and read the book. The book entitled "Dear Dad, This Is to Announce My Death." And uh, do you remember the author? Uh, Rick <clears throat> Cast, a guy from Seattle. And here I was in Massachusetts. So, um, and it was the story of my life: good time, Charlie, rock and roll, alcohol, uh, immorality, emptiness. And uh, by the end of that book, which was probably 120 pages or so, uh, it really it just uh, delved in and, and exposed me for what I really was and, and then gave a solution, which was Jesus Christ. So I prayed the prayer at the end of the book. You know that terminology, yep, right? Prayed I the prayed prayer. the prayer. Became a believer? I believe that I became a believer at that point. <clears throat> Albeit I spent the next two years in an incubator. I call those my incubator years, 74 to 76. Because the book didn't tell me what else to do. It didn't tell me to go get fellowship or start reading the Bible. Go to a church. Anything like that. So so we continued fumbling around. Linda was was a, uh, considered herself to be a believer, a follower of Jesus. Uh, um, maybe not a Christian yet, but it was actually her, her life that was impressing me. Um, I had basically rejected the Catholic Church and rejected everything that it stood for and was uh, actually a preacher even back then of uh, existentialism. and, and Anything uh, but Catholic. Yeah. ABC. Yeah. yeah. So um, that happened in September. And in uh, November, I went into the Air Force and um, started carrying a New Testament in my back pocket. These are what I thought were, were good things. I, I'd like to say that my life was all cleaned up from that point on, but those two years were probably some of the worst years of my life. And uh, it didn't get it didn't get better once you became a Christian. It didn't. It actually got worse, but it was no longer fun. <laughs> you know, my drugs and my alcohol and those kinds of things—they weren't fun anymore. They were, you know, probably addictions. Well, the change so, of affections evidence that you became a believer. Yes. Yeah, I was I was changing, and I saw I can. I can go back and look at instances where God was involved in my life, and uh, and I was like, "This is really weird," you know. And um, but so Linda and I really struggled those two years too because we were we married in '74, and uh, here I was this quote unquote Christian just like her, but you know I was uh, still involved with drugs and alcohol, and so we struggled. God, God protected us during those years. And then you you got stationed out in Fairchild, when? right? Uh, I was I was at Fairchild just 14 months, and then I got out of the Air Force. I got out of the Air Force because um, <clears throat> for a couple of reasons, but ultimately, in order to guard honorable discharge, I was a an airman unable to adjust to military life. So. 
So uh, that was their way of... Uh, Is that where the anti-military protest comes in? Yeah, that, that's the problem. I, my heart wasn't into it. And I actually went in uh, as a sort of a, not a pacifist, but... Con- um, not a conscientious objector. Not a conscientious objector, but I had been a draft dodger. <laughs> so when I went to sign up for the Air Force, they were shocked that I walked in there without a draft card. And, uh, of course, this was back at the, the end of Vietnam. So... Anyway, to make a long story short, I got my draft card. I enlisted in the Air Force, and um, and basically two years later, I was out. So, but uh, I was out in terms of the Air Force, honorably. Although I look back at it, and it wasn't all that honorable. But um, but you were a young believer. I was a young, I was a young <laughs> believer, and then we immediately sold our stuff and uh, moved out of the city, and we were going to go back to the land. Well, back to the land was northern Idaho. We had worked in a community co-op down there, and we'd met people from northern Idaho, and they were totally cool, right? <laughs> so we thought, man, we're going to go out and be totally cool like them. Yeah, that's how we all see ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so but before you got back to Idaho, then you got uh, tell us about the, the um, anti-war, your little stint with the anti-war movement. Well, yeah, I just, um, these are back in the days when I wasn't thinking much. <laughs> and um, I, we ended up marching on uh, on Fairchild Air Force Base against the B-1 bomber. And little did I know that it made the paper and my picture was in it. <laughs> and my bosses saw it. And so the next day I got called in the called in and I ended up getting sent to the chaplain who was a colonel and uh and you know you know who he was he was Tim Lance's dad <clears throat> anyway Tim Lance was uh was a roommate of mine for a while we ended up moving into his house but anyway so I got in trouble you got in trouble yeah the air was, force doesn't look kindly on people in the air force protesting the air force right yeah and the and airplanes that, yeah and they probably didn't look kindly on on our lifestyle at all but but uh, we yeah, you have a you have a picture, or is it an old driver's license that you carry around with you that hardly even looks like you, with the long hair and the yeah. braids and the and that's back 19s. that's back when we were still in Boston. I was actually a cab driver, and that's that's actually the picture off my Hackney license. Oh, so and uh, I don't carry it with me anymore because I have a new improved wallet. But. So honorably discharged from the Air Force. Yeah, and which allowed me. You know the VA benefits, and we uh, we ended up buying a house using the GI Bill, and went to school on the GI Bill. And so, before we get to your time in North Idaho, how did you guys meet? Oh, that was before the Air Force. Yep. Yeah, I better. Yeah, we're going back in time. Yeah, but you can like later on. You can. Oh, I'll switch this all around so yeah. it's all chronological, and I added out all your bad theology too. Yeah, good, excellent. So, yeah, like the incubator thing. Yeah. Two years of, yeah. yeah. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> I read I read John MacArthur books, and I go, hmm. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how to explain what happened that night, because it was definitely a transaction of some sort in terms of forgiveness, which is the main thing that I was just carrying yeah. guilt and, you know, and... uh and there was a tremendous freedom. Now it may have been, may have just been an emotional thing. And, you know, it was, I started reading the book about 2 a.m. and finished around 5 a.m. 
and uh, it may have been exhaustion for all I know, but but uh, I prayed and uh, with all sincerity and and uh, whether I was saved that night or whether God started the wooing process yeah. or had already started it, you know. So I'll, I'll edit all this. You'll sound like John MacArthur by the time I'm done. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so were you already, were you, were you married at that point? Uh, I was married at that point. Well, no, no, I wasn't married at that point. Okay. So how did you guys meet? What's a, did you want to tell this story? It's a great story. I, I'm okay. going to ask you questions here in a bit too. Ooh, so, okay. Cause I want to find out how you became a believer. And once upon a time, um, I went out to dinner with Beverly, and uh, and Beverly is a mutual friend. And that night after dinner, she Beverly said, "Would you like to go meet some friends of mine?" And uh, and Beverly was a hippie. Uh, I don't know if she was a hippie wannabe or a hippie, but uh, so we went to meet some of her hippie friends, and one of those friends was Linda, who had just was staying with a friend, had just come up from Florida where she had graduated from nursing school and, and done all that kind of stuff. And uh, Linda was there that night with her overalls and a red shirt just like that. I think it might have been a turtleneck, rose-colored glasses, red socks. And I was like, so Starstruck. We hung around. It seems to me I remember a game of chess, but that might have been another another time but um we hung around for a while and then bev and i left and as i'm walking to walk we're walking to the car i said to beverly beverly i love that girl make arrangements <laughs> <laughs> and uh and she did she went back and talked to linda apparently at some point and and linda's response was never <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but I am uh, tenacious, and uh, I knew what I wanted, and so, so that's how we met. We met that night, and uh, married nine months. Later. Yeah. Now, were you guys were you a Christian when you got married? Mm. How did you become a believer? Um, I actually went back from Florida back to Massachusetts because my a friend of mine, a real close friend, was in the Jesus movement. And so we were kind of involved in that. I mean, we were doing Bible studies and everything, but but we were doing numerology and color ores and all this stuff. And oh. um, so it was, and um, I had this cousin who was giving me Christian books and things, but she must have thought I was a believer because she, when she talked to me, she talked to me like a believer. But um, after we had moved out here and after we had moved to Idaho, to Standpoint, and we were living in a tent out in Samoan, and a couple, a family from California came and camp next to us and at one point um the woman said you know are you believers in the lord jesus christ and i said well i am but i don't know about my husband and uh <laughs> so they ended up inviting us to go visit 
a couple that were running the airport at the time, Chuck and Torky Courier. And Bruce, we went, and then the next day, this couple that was camping next to us left and went back to California. And Bruce said, I have got to go talk to these people again. So we went back there, and Torchy just opened up the scriptures from the Old Testament and went all the way through. And when she got to the end and going through, you know, the end times, um, I said, you know what? I don't ever remember praying and really asking. I said, I, I believed and I, I knew I wanted to follow Christ. And, but I'm not sure that I ever have made a personal commitment. Personal commitment. And so I did in July 12th of 1976. Mm -hmm. So we basically considered that our growing point. From that point forward, we, we never looked back, you know. And, um, and she offered me the same thing. Would you like to pray? And I said, I, I know where I stand. And, uh, well, I knew I had to get back to that house somehow, the day, house that I was at the day before. And I, I mean, I wrestled. We, you know, we lived outside and I wrestled all day. What am I going to say? What do they, I mean, I'm just going to show up at their door and say, well, there was something, you know, and of course they would have, they would have known exactly what was going on, you know, yeah. but, uh, so, so that was a great day. But, um, interestingly enough, they attended a church in town, but they didn't invite us to their church. <laughs> they sent us to another pastor. <laughs> they no. said, oh, you need to go to church. To Sunday mornings, if you go to this address, they have a bus and it will take you to the Queen, to a church. But they never <laughs> invited us to their church. I think they probably thought we might not have fit into their yeah, because we were pretty rough looking. You you still had the the hippie look. <laughs> yeah, we were. Not yeah, not quite. You were yeah. living off the land at the time. Yeah, yeah. we were I living mean, in a tent. Yeah, with... crunching granola, hugging trees, and the whole yeah, the whole yeah. thing at the time. Lentils and granola and good stuff like that. Yeah. Summer months, it was easy. <laughs> yeah, did yeah. That, did you continue that through up, the winter? Uh, no, we ended up getting a cabin out on Bottle Bay, a caretaker's cabin that somebody rented rented to us. So that's where we lived. And how did you land at Southside? Well, first we ended up, we did go to, which turned out to be, do you know Jay Cates? From, uh, yeah. From Northside? It was his parents. Oh, okay. And Buford was the pastor at Laclede. And so we would meet at, at their time. house and take the bus out. And then we'd come back to their house. And then that evening we'd go back out. And um, at some point, not too long after, because Bruce um, really had a hunger, and he'd keep going in. Like, every day he wanted to go in and see Yeah, I couldn't get enough. Talk to him. I mean, I was, I, I felt like it had been a two-year uh, drought. Drought, <laughs> exactly. That's the exact word I used. And uh, and so when, when, when Buford and Molly started opening up the scriptures to me, I was like, <sighs> like you know, just starving. So I was gluttonous at, at We first. went in a lot. And spent yeah. a lot of time there. And at one point, Molly said, I, Bruce, I think that you're called to be a preacher. And then we ended up going to the I Love America, Jerry Falwell, okay. tour that was going around in 1976. 
And you guys might remember that. Yeah, I vaguely do. I was four at the time. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And um, at that conference, we when he asked for um, calls to repentance and um, salvation or calls to dedication, we both felt the Lord calling us to dedicate our lives to full time service. And Molly. I can't remember if it was before after that, said, Bruce, I believe that you're called to be a preacher. And we were in at Inland Empire School of the Bible in September. Wow, so this is three three years after you get saved? Well, from 74 and in 76, September of 76, I started at, in Bible college. Wow. Two years, basically. Okay. But Two really years. just a couple three of months, months, yeah. A couple of months after, after making the real commitment and... And I was young. I made a lot of dumb mistakes, and and they were extremely gracious with me there, you know. But uh, so when did you eventually cut your hair? Um, well, I don't think my hair was all that. Well, oh, I know exactly yeah. when I cut it. Yeah, Vern Hawkins. Did I ever told you that story? No. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> he used to have the barber shop on. Is that Main Street where Truby's is? He used to have a barber shop right there, and uh, and he lived on on uh, on Lignite on the Bottle Bay Road, and he used to just glare at me. Um, he uh, he truly did not like me, and so I drive. When he by saw him. you on Dr- Bottle Bay. When he saw me driving and saw my hair and all that kind of stuff, so um, I had a I had a crisis in my life that where I ended up going in to Buford one night when I had read First uh, Corinthians talking about does not even nature itself teach you that it's uh, <laughs> unnatural or whatever to, to have long hair. And I was like, what? I think the word might have been custom or it might have been nature. I don't remember what, what my version said. But, you know, and I was like, oh, no, this is terrible. You know, and I actually, there was no phone out there. Uh, and, of course, this predates cell phones. So I actually got in the car and drove all the way around the lake and went to his house and what does this mean you know and he sat down and talked to me and i said but look around you everybody has long hair i said there's nothing unnatural about it at all and and he says well i'll give you that but what if your long hair causes one person to stumble and and at that time i just whatever jesus wanted i it didn't matter you know peter said you know, you need to hack off your fingers. I would have done it for him. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and of course, there were a lot of old people in the church and stuff like that. And I could picture that being offensive to them, you know. So the very next day I went to Vern Hawkins and I went and sat in there and he just he had a guy in the chair. Um, when I got up into the chair, I just said, go crazy. Just like that. And he did. He came out with like a military buzz. <laughs> yeah, he buzzed me down and left me about that much hair. So, but he felt great. I felt great, you know. And uh, so, so I had a short, nice short haircut. So when did you you went to Inland Empire School of the Bible mm-hmm. for a year, two years? Well, I ended up going from <clears throat> um, from seventy six to eighty two. I crammed four years into six. Wow. So. <laughs> So, I went to uh, I went to school with guys with that kind of discipline. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was because he had a family. And... Yeah, I had uh, you know, I had to work, 
the times I only got to go to night school or. Um, and were I, you living in Spokane at the time or here? Yeah, Bottle we, Bay moved, here? we moved back to Spokane. Okay. For those six years. Mm -hmm. Then how well, did you. Part of it, we were living in south of Spokane. Yeah. In Malden. Yeah, we actually bought a house down in uh, south of south of Spokane. How did you get uh, called to the mission field then? Oh, before we go into that, you have how many kids? Talk about your kids and grandkids for just a second. Two kids. And they have names? Right, Linda? <laughs> yeah. And they have names? They do. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, one of them, our son, was going to be Seton Ashley, and I saved his life, and he owes me a lot for that. <laughs> <laughs> the name was going to be what? Seton Ashley. Seton. How do you spell that? Of the sea. You know, Seton. Yeah. S-E-A-T-O-N. Seton Ashley. Yeah. Aren't you glad that... <laughs> Anyway, if he was born a girl or if he was born, no, a that was going to be his boy. boy name. <laughs> that was the boy name you chose. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, so at that time, the, the whole hippie influence was still really thick in your minds. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, but he is uh, Dal you... Dalton Elias. That's the uh, number one, number one son's name. And he and where does he live? He lives in Wasilla, Alaska. He, and he's married. He's married, has five children and uh, three of which are teenagers. And what does he do in Wasilla? He's a youth pastor. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, Sarah Palin's old church? Uh, nope. No, he's not. He's not in a Sarah Palin's church, but um, but he lives across the lake from Sarah Palin. So, and um, anyway, he loves it up there, and he has God is really blessing the ministry, and kids are coming to Christ and getting dedicated and, and uh, you know, really desiring to, to go all out for Jesus and and uh, and he's in a, not only in his own church, but in a in a youth network that they have up there with with a number of churches. And, so, and then your second child, number two child is uh, Micaiah, uh, Micaiah Ruth, and she lives in Kansas with her husband and five children also. And ten grandchildren. Yeah. So, pretty good return on our investment. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so if we have ten, you guys are in for a treat. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, and they're both walking with the Lord, and we're very proud of them, and and uh, they're a blessing to us, and they're a blessing to the community. Interestingly, because this got brought up today <clears throat> a lot, when when we um, would do anything as a family, our our family prayer was always God make us a blessing to everybody we come in contact with, and uh, and. Both of my kids remind me of that, you know, and how it's their desire. They don't know what God will have them do, and they're not all too sure how talented they are, but they know they can do that, and uh, and that that's been uh, kind of a motivation for for them and for us as well. So it might not be, uh, you know, a tremendous work, mm -hmm. but. Um, one of the things that kept getting brought up today, which was kind of interesting to me, because it's it's not something I ne necessarily consciously do. Okay, today, but uh, lots of people brought that up. So from school to uh, some sort of full time ministry, cross cultural yeah, ministry, right away. 1982, we graduate. We graduated. Uh, I walked the island May, but I had one more class to take a biology class, and I took that at one of the pagan universities in in um in spokane and then uh and then we were done we actually went and picked apples up in the wenatchee valley uh us and 
hundreds of Mexicans. Mm-hmm. It was fun. And our kids, our kids loved it. You know, we were out in the orchards and, and, uh, they'd come running to me. Of course, they, Linda and I were working in the trees and they were, uh, you know, just running around. And he said this, what should I say? So I'd tell him what to say and they'd go back and tell him what I told him to say. And then they'd come back and I'd say, well, well, what did he say? <laughs> that kind of a thing, and so they kind of remember. But it gave them some interesting exposure, which, which uh, later on kind of came in handy. So you were exposed to migrant workers. Yeah. And then you, uh, then you, you eventually got into cross cultural full time ministry. Yeah. We well we that 1982 we we um, did the migrant thing, and then we took a bus trip, took a Greyhound bus trip, and went back to New England. Yeah, and we I'll, actually did it. Worked with work the apples so that we could earn money to, to go back go to back New to England. See our, our yeah, family, we actually had so. a chart on the wall that had a bus leaving Spokane and going to New Hampshire and back, and we charted it. You know, uh-huh. going along. The, We're in Minneapolis, woohoo! You know that kind of stuff. So, so I uh, and then then I was basically unemployed uh, after that. After we got back from New England, which was probably the beginning of the year, January. That winter, I, I'm not sure what I did. I think I did some indoor work. Maybe I worked at the Grange. I don't remember yeah. what I did for, down there. For Trimont. Then I worked for Trimont. I worked for Trimont, yeah. Anyway, 1983, talking to a friend who was an elder at Southside. And I had met Southside guys at the Bible College, and I liked all of them. Uh, this one guy, Howard Johns, and I became particularly good friends and he actually lived lives up north up on gold creek and uh he would come and li- he stayed with us during the week and then would go home on the weekend so we became good friends and and i was just very impressed with what was coming out of that church uh you know they had i don't know six or seven or even a dozen students from that church mm. in the school and so i was bumping into them including mike thompson and and uh, and Corky at a, at night classes, so that's basically how it was. I was sitting with Howard one day, and and he said something about you know that church they they always wait to the last minute to do everything, and they better get their act together because I'm leaving in two months, and there's nobody to replace me yet. I think he was leaving sooner than that, mm-hmm. and I jokingly said, well, the next time you're uh, talking to them, you know, let them know that I'd be interested in teaching at the school, teaching at the school. And he looked at me, he said, are you serious? And I said, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, just kind of that casual flippant thing, you know, and, and, uh, it wasn't a couple of weeks later that he was calling me and saying, it would be really good if you could get up here, if you could just, and I'm like, well, and do what, you know, I, cause I needed to work and, so on and so forth, and well, just hang out and get to know us, and so that's how that's kind of how it evolved. I ended up coming up here and picking huckleberries and doing whatever I could to survive, and and uh, and by July of of '83, uh, we were they were moved out and we were moved in. We moved into their house. Hmm. Basically, took his job and his house. And, and how, long, how long did you teach at the school? Just three years. Because in 86, I resigned 
to start getting ready to go to the mission field. And I did not realize that it was going to take me three more years to make that move. Uh, you know, as far as we were concerned, we were going to resign and, and be gone in a couple of, you know, uh, we were, we thought we were uh, ready to go. You needed to raise your own support. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I taught there from 83 to 86 and then 86, I actually ended up going to the lumber mill, JD Lumber, and oh, yeah. I worked lumber mills for almost two years. Um, well, and that was actually excellent exposure. Cause, and you're getting ready to go to the mission field yeah. while you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, paying off. I think debts were one of the issues, and uh, and then just making contacts and praying and mm -hmm. um, growing up. I think mm -hmm. a little bit is probably what the elders were kind of hoping to see a little bit. So, so then in 1989, we actually made the move and we went south to southern Idaho and worked again with the migrants for 20 some odd, 20 months basically, assigned to a little Hispanic church down there, a missionary Ramiro Reyes, an AMF missionary, actually, um, was working in a Hispanic church down there, and we supported him. We supported his disciple Jesus Garcia, who we, whom we, with whom we eventually worked in in Mexico, and uh, that's how it all got started. So. And that's how you got uh, to Mexico. Mm -hmm. How did you know that God was calling you to some sort of full-time cross-cultural ministry? That's a huge. That's like a huge step for most people to leave the comfort zone of the best people in the world, in North Idaho, and head to yeah. Mexico. Well, uh, again, it's all a process. There's not one thing, but I remember going in to the registrar of the school to, uh, in my junior year. Now let's see what it's going to take to get you out of here. And I'm sure you've done this where they say, you've got this, 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 you're all set there. Oh, whoa, you haven't taken a missions class. At, at which point I argued and said, well, I'll never be a missionary. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be, I actually thought I was going to be a pastor because I thought that's what, men did that served the Lord. That's how ignorant I was, you know. So, <clears throat> um, I took the class because he wasn't backing down. I said, you know, let me, you know, first Peter happens at the same time. Let me take that. That's going to be much more valuable. Well, you got to take this class. Well, the only class available for me so that I could keep on schedule and get out was a class called Missions Problems. A whole class on that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine missionaries have problems? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it wasn't, it wasn't very many weeks after that. I remember coming home and saying, Linda, pack your bags. We're going to, I think it was Brazil or it didn't matter where. <laughs> Something New Guinea. Well, Brazil was one. And then I remember some little enclave in, yeah. in North Africa that speaks Spanish right across the, the, uh, the you, you were looking for a place with no problems, or you were looking to solve problems? I just wanted it to go. I mean, the whole idea of what this guy was presenting was just like, whoa, I I like this, you know. And uh, and so Linda, of course, offered the balance that I needed because I would have literally had my – I would have been out the door the same day, you know, uh, dragging Linda and, uh, and Dalton – and maybe Micaiah at that no, time, I don't remember, them. just Dalton. But um, anyway, so that was kind of the, even thinking about missions 
you know, because it's always brought up, but this, this idea that these are real people who have real problems and, and this is what they do. And, and uh, just the nature of, of the missionary, why do they have, why is there conflict among missionaries? Well, look at the kind of people they are. They're, they're independent, they're motivated, they're strong-willed usually. Of course they're going to bump heads, you know. And so there was just lots of stuff like that that uh, gave me cause to ponder. And then where did you end up going in Mexico? Um, well, first, one thing that, that's interesting is that when we were at Southside, whenever missionaries would come through, we would always have them over. And we would talk to them and we'd ask them, you know, questions. And, yeah, we wanted our kids to meet them. We wanted, yeah. you know, we just... And we were involved in... Um, a couple of missionary um, prayer meetings. One missionary who had been in China, she'd come around once a month, and we'd go to her meetings. She was with OMF. And um, then we had this one missionary who came was from OMF and was interested in us going to Japan to a school there. And um, But then they said that, no, it, we weren't going to be at the school. No, it wasn't a we school. We were going to be in Japan, but our kids would have to go away to an MK school. And we said, you know, we believe that God's calling us and called us to be a family, and we believe that he's called us to homeschool our children. We're not going to send them away so that we can work. And um, then we had another missionary come from CAM, Central American Missions, and he asked us, he said, well, what if you went and worked at a missionary school? And he wanted us to go to this school in Puebla, Mexico. In Mexico, yeah. And we said, no. We said, no, we don't want to go to Mexico, and we don't want to work in an MK school. I didn't think, I didn't honestly think real missionaries went to Mexico. <laughs> honestly, I just uh, I thought, that's like the country next door, you know. <laughs> It's like being a missionary to Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <clears throat> my vision of missions was, you know, the bandolier, M60 in one hand and a Bible in the other, you know. I really wanted, back then, the the Nicaragua, the, the Contras and the Sandinistas, Sandinistas yeah. were fighting against each other. And I wanted to go work in the refugee camps there and that kind of stuff, you know, so. Negotiate hostage release. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I kind of had a, a cross between, um, you know, Hudson Taylor and, Jack and Rambo. <laughs> or Jack Bauer, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it, Linda brings that up because it's interesting that we we basically said thank you. I think we, I think we went through the whole application process yeah, with CAM International. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, and then it, it, it ended up breaking down. We ended up going to a missions conference actually up at Prairie. And we started talking to all the other missions. And that's where we met this one outfit called Mexican Mission Ministries. We liked the idea that they were going to train us and hold our hand and show us what a mission. They were real small and family oriented. And and uh, whereas Cam wanted us to raise this huge amount of money, um, you know, this mission said, well, what do you think? you could live on and told us a little bit about what what kind of expenses we might run into and 
And Linda and I were, were super frugal, so we knew we could, you know, we knew we didn't need that amount that uh, that Cam was requiring. So there were just a lot of different factors that when we came down to it, we said, oh, boy, I really like this this mission here and, and so on and so forth. But we ended up going with neither of them, but that's, um, so but I guess. Did, but you did end up going to Pueblo. Yeah. Well, well, no, we ended up going where one of the missionaries at our church, Jesus Garcia, um, it was Linares in northern Mexico. And when we were, we went to work with him, and he was really looking for someone we to take care of. We went through Linares, by the way, to get to Dr. Arroyo. Okay. The um, big city at the bottom of the mountain, if you remember yeah. that. We stopped at a gas station there. And the Soriana, I think. Oh, yeah? And... um. He had a camp up in Galeana. I don't know if you remember when we went and we went up the mountain and we turned and there was a gas station. We stopped at a mm -hmm. gas station there and to the right was Galeana. And he had a camp there. But at the time, it, they used it one week out of the year. And then there was a, a mission group from Colorado who had come down one week out of the year. And they wanted someone to run that camp to try and get it used more and get it you know going and so we stayed one year in Linares and then we moved up to um Galeana okay and God just really prospered and by the time we left four years later mm -hmm. three years later um it was being used like all just all about, summer yeah all summer long and then at least once a month during the winter because we were there, and groups might come, and then there was an English speaker at the camp, so they could come and talk to us and find out about renting it. No phones or anything, so there was no, I yeah. mean, it just, God it brought to people to our there, door. You know. And mm -hmm. I wish I could show you where that door was, because you don't go by it to get to anywhere else. But, you know, so it was just, we just, we just. It, it was strategic for us to be there, and God brought the people to our door, and pretty soon, mostly American and Canadian groups were using the camp. Hmm. So, but uh, they provided lots of funds, and and uh, we were able to be involved in a lot of ministry to all the pastors out in many, many, many villages. So it was great. Uh, we even had a little our, our little Bible school in a box. We ended up starting to train these pastors and taking the courses to them. And uh, you you guys know Larry Nelson, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> Larry offered to buy, to contribute all the books for these pastors' libraries. And the deal with these pastors was you complete a year, you keep the library. And then from after that one-year course, then we would usually plug them into TEE, uh, Theological Extension, uh, Education by Extension. Um so, and Larry, and then I'm not sure who else. Dave so, Cox, I think. Yeah, involved. Dave Cox or somebody's. Larry came up with half the money, and somebody either Southside or Steve Smith or somebody came up with the other half. I never did know who the other half was. But Larry sent these books, and they were 60 books to a library, including things these guys had never seen, like concordances. And it was amazing. Systematic theologies and... And so they, we gave them the library and we said, you finish the year, you keep the books, you know, and, uh, they would, I mean, they would look, they'd never had any books like that. And so, 
when was, we were down there on a mission trip, this the way it was in that area, you get all the spread out pastors in the little tiny villages out there that have 40 or 50 or 60 people in their church. And these guys have nothing more than a Bible. And they can't no leave. Tools. You they know, can't they leave. can't go to Monterey to the big Bible college because they've yeah. got 10 kids and, and they don't have money to buy resources and they're subsistence or farmers basically. Yeah. And so, so we would take it to them and we'd find central locations and then these guys would come in. And we, at one time we had 35 pastors that were, that were wow. running. It was amazing. Those were golden years. And how God, long were you there? God brought a guy named Ignacio Gomez, a Colombian to that area. He was working in an orphanage in, in Galeana. He and his wife, his wife was from uh, St. Louis. And um, he was an impact player like I've never met. Already knew the language. He was he was Latin, you know, and he just had a tremendous way about him. But he was an evangelist. He wasn't interested in teaching, really, you know. Yeah. But um, but he would teach them. He taught them how to preach. We brought in the video camera and actually let these guys watch themselves. And on and on like that. And just, you know, those kind of mannerisms and those things you say, why did you say that? Where did you get that? You know, and started teaching them how to exegete the scriptures. And and uh, so it was fun. And the pastors really, really loved it. They responded. Now, I will say that we got lots of libraries back because men were never used to doing that kind of a commitment. You know? yeah. But, but uh, you know, there were by the end, there were probably 10 or a dozen pastors that made it through the first year and. And uh, and probably three or four that wanted to go on after that and and learn, so it was a it was a blessing. So that's what happened up in Galeana. And then in 1995, probably in the spring, I went to a conference down in Puebla called Spiritual Life Conference, and it was held at a camp down there. And while I was at that conference, four missionaries. Yeah. Okay. And had we gone? We went. We went one, one year, year, and then I all went us, yeah. alone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or did I have Makai with me, or Dalton yeah, with me, or no? I think you the second time. Me. Okay. Anyway, um, I was talking with a man, and he was saying, "Well, what did you do before you came on the field?" And I said, "Well, I worked at a Christian school, and uh, actually, you know, had did some administration at the Christian school." And um, he said, "Oh, really?" I said, yeah. He said, oh, because we're looking for an administrator at a, at a school here in, in the city. And uh, would you be interested? And I said, no. Because I was not interested in moving from my mountain village yeah. to a city of three million people, you know. So he backed off, you know. He was he was uh, good like that, but he was also shrewd. And... Uh, in the end, he offered to take me back to the bus, provide transportation from where this camp was kind of on the outskirts of the city. And um, he said, hey, we're a couple of hours early before the bus leaves. Would you mind stopping in to see the school? <laughs> no, yeah, you know, you're driving. So, uh, so we did. We stopped in and he took me on a tour of the school. And then he... You know, we got back in the car and he says, would you be willing to pray about it? And I was like, well, how can I argue? How can I say no to that, you know? And um, 
so I said, yeah, I would, I would be willing to pray about it. And, uh, cause I really, you know, if that's where God wanted us, I didn't want to resist that, you know, but so, and that was 95 by the end of that, by the school, beginning of the school year, I was there, we were there. It just, things in Galeana started to come to a close. The camp was well off. There were, um, lots of people, Mexicans and, you know, Americans involved. And so we, we, uh, became obvious it was time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. We had done what Chewie asked us to do. And he was, you know, he was mostly happy, uh, with, with, you know, what was going on there. And, and they did, uh, end up bringing in a Mexican family and, and, uh, into the camp. So we were free to go. No still small voice. No skywriting signs. No, no, it was just, it was just, uh, closed doors and open doors. One opportunity shut down, another yeah. one. And you had a desire by that time to go yeah. to Puebla. We did. We did. We were, you know, by the time we were leaving for Puebla, we were excited about going to Puebla. So. And how long were you in Puebla? Now, Dalton uh, was already home. He was 18 years old, mm-hmm. and he came back to the States. But uh, Makai did go with us to Puebla. So. And we were there 95 through... Um, Oh three, I think. Oh three. So that's not about we took furlough from oh yeah. three to oh four, mm-hmm. Oaxaca oh four to oh five, mm-hmm. and then we, we were here by oh five. So So two thousand and five you were back in Southside and mm-hmm. came back here and what have you been doing in Sandpoint area since two thousand five? Um I came back to become the director of Kokolala Lake Bible Camp. So uh that I had already been hired by telephone. Uh, they had I, offered it to you. Yeah, I had. They had offered it to me, and I had been. We had been involved a little bit in the camp over the years since we sit right next door to each other, uh, the church and the camp. So. So you were familiar with the camp. We were had familiar with the with ministry. The camp in, some degree. in fact, we loved the fact that that we could tell our kids that it's important to serve the Lord, and then say, and right over here across the parking lot is a place where you can plug in and start practicing, you know. So even even when we were in youth ministry uh, as young adults, we would point kids to camp. So. so I think it was probably in 2000, it must have been that year that you were on furlough that I met you for the first time. You attended a, a service at Kootenai because you knew some of the people at Kootenai, yeah. some of the families. And you, what are some of the families that you already knew at Kootenai? Well, we... Before we left to go to Mexico, we actually lived in uh, Jim Kowalski's house. So we knew uh, Jim and Carol Kowalski. Uh, Carol worked in the school as a monitor, and uh, and her kids went to Southside Christian School. Uh, of course, we knew Vince and Linda. Linda was one of my one of my uh, you know associates at at Southside Christian School, and Vince and Linda, of course, were Southsiders at one time. Um, you knew the Jensens. We knew, yeah, obviously I knew Mel. Mel was one of my students and, uh, Jess and Marsha knew Tracy because of, uh, of, of her sister, uh, Leslie and, uh, the who? Jess and Marsha. Jess and Marsha. Yeah. Cause they were formerly Southsiders. And so yeah, I had met Je- them. So yeah, there were quite a few people. And yeah. That's, so that's when you and I must have met when you were on furlough. It seems to me that's, and then it was shortly after that that they I offered you, you. Was it that year? I'm wondering if it was that you that you did your, your big class down there. 
what year was that? Do you remember? Big you, class. Uh, where you had a retreat, a weekend retreat? Oh, yeah. We did a preaching seminar at uh, the camp. And uh, that would have been, I think that would have been 2005, February 2005, I think. When, what, okay. Uh, so, we yeah, we would, we would have been gone. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, then they offered you the directorship at Coca-Cola Lake Bible Camp. Mm-hmm. And since that time, you have lived here in Sandpoint. Yes. All right. And yeah. So, of all the missionaries that our church supports, you and I have probably spent more time with each other than I have spent with any of the other missionaries. And we've supported you guys for the least period of time. Other missionaries we've supported for decades, and we recently brought you guys on as yeah. supported missionaries. Oh, thank you, by the way. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it's about three years late, but that's all right. <clears throat> Better late than never. <laughs> uh, and so that's because you, you're you close. You work at the camp. You live in Sandpoint. Not because we get along or like each other, but mm-hmm. just sort of here and we have opportunity to hang around. Well, that too, yeah. 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 And you've worked out at the camp now since 2005. Yeah, and six years. What is uh what was your role out at the camp? What were you doing at Coca Cola Lake Bible Camp? Well, my title was uh Director of Operations. And uh <clears throat> or I like to say doop. <laughs> doop, okay. <laughs> um <clears throat> I was supposed to be the director of operations and Randy Anderson was the executive director. Uh, what happened with Randy is he, because of health reasons, had to basically pull out. The doctor said, you've got seven hats here that you wear. Get rid of four of them. And, uh, and so one of those was the camp. So, uh, you, you probably noticed that even that, that Randy basically, when I got on board, he disappeared. Yeah. And uh, and we didn't see much more of him. And, and he apologized many, many times for throwing me to the fire, you know. But so uh, <clears throat> so that's what I did. I directed the camp. Okay. And, and it was, uh, I'm not sure if it was because you were at the camp or because you and I knew each other that I got sort of pulled into more active ministry out of the camp. And that's kind of how we've, yeah. the last several years, you and I have got to serve alongside each other. Yeah. Well, when I know I'm, a good resource when I see one. Went, yeah, <laughs> went on a mission trip. See, I can edit that out. We went on a mission trip to uh, Mexico together, 10 days. Mm-hmm. That was the funnest Mexico mission trip you've ever been on, isn't it? It was, yes, yeah. absolutely. It was fun. It actually was fun. I'll tell and you that why. That was, what, 2007? Uh, uh, no, two years ago? Yeah. Just two it, years ago? It, it'll, be, it'll be three okay. years ago this coming uh, yeah. This coming spring. Okay. Yeah, so 09, yeah. So why was that fun? Um, It was the most... You know, and I don't know how much success we had, only God knows, but it was the most successful evangelism that I'd ever been involved with. And, uh, and I think a lot of it was the material and a lot of it was just you, that you love to go out there and do that kind of stuff. So I really saw, um, I really saw more impact than I had seen in many, many years. And, um, in terms of just about everybody we talked, talked to, most everybody had, you know, was engaged yeah. and listened, and they heard the message. And so uh, you probably already knew that you were gifted in that, and you can edit that out, too. Yeah, I will. Yeah. So <clears throat> so it wasn't just the material, which is the first time I'd ever used that material, Yeah. the way the master stuff. But uh, just the way we did it, that was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And now, you guys, as we're sitting here in your living room, you're getting packed up and ready to head where? Mm-hmm. We are headed... Back to Puebla. The place that we said no to at the beginning. The place you said no to at the beginning. 
You spent a number of years there. Now you're heading back. We. Uh, what was funny is I don't think we realized. You know, it kind of hit us in an epiphany one time. I think this is the school that Don Hamilton was originally trying to get us to go to all those years before. And I don't know if Linda said it or if I said it or one of us, and all of a sudden it hit us, wasn't it Puebla? <laughs> I think we had been there for a while when all of a sudden we were like, wait a minute, isn't this the school that I said no to? So we kind of laughed at God's sense of humor. And now we're really just roaring laughing because we're going back yeah. to that same place. So Almost every missionary interview I've done, they have, uh, and I'm not sure if there's a single one that hasn't said something to this effect, that the thing that they say no to in the beginning is the thing that God ends up calling them to in the end. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And doubly for us because, I mean, he really believed that, that he was going into the pastorate. And he ended up teaching, which he didn't do any education classes, and then going when into we came up here, missions. There was no organized homeschooling, and we had just come off of working with Raymond Moore. You know who Dr. Raymond Moore is? I've right? heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, back in our days, he was the guru uh, of the of the idea of better late than early. That was his whole thesis. You know that. We had we had been involved in, in in numerous conferences on homeschooling in Spokane, and now we were being called up here. So we immediately started organizing homeschooling up here, you know. So the first homeschool groups up here were started at Southside, and um, and at that time, uh, by this by the first year of that I was at Southside Christian School, Southside had forty five kids homeschool kids. And the school was almost a hundred kids. Wow. So I mean there were just a lot of kids back then and and uh what's the my point being is that it's interesting that I never I didn't really prepare for education except for the one class that it was acquired. But uh it ends up And that's up, what that's a, ends up where God puts you. Yeah, it ends up being, you know, my career field, I guess. So, but you do preaching and you teach and yeah. uh teach Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah, I love to do So that. those are all that's all training that hasn't gone to waste. Yeah. I don't believe any of it's gone to waste. The foundation that I have in the scriptures is what I've built everything, what whatever the ministry is on, uh, the word of God and his faithfulness to his own word and uh, and to me and all of that. None of it's none of it was wasted. So what has what has been your unique contribution to Coca Lake Bible Camp in the last six years? Hmm. Go ahead, Linda. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Everybody says it's a better place than when I left. Than when it's I came. It's a better place than when you left. Yeah. <laughs> it's a better place now that I left. <laughs> Freudian slip. There. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Um, Everything got better once Bruce left. Um, I don't know. I don't know what what my unique. I mean, I definitely left an imprint there. But when you, in terms of a contribution. Well, for one thing, yeah, there wasn't out, an on-site director. There never had been one. Yeah. So. You know, basically, Linda Nelson ran things, except during the summer. You yeah. know, she ran the office and everything else, and they came up once a month or something to pay bills. And so it's just like the 
um, Complemento Peniel in, in Galeana, that once there was an on-site director, then God just, you know, opened things up yeah. and, and um, it just just seemed to open things up. And it just seems to be the same thing at, at Kokolala that... The camp is busier now. Yeah. It's more active. It's more used. Yeah. There's more going on. We built a lot of things. There seemed to be a, a, uh, an austerity program in place before I got there. And I just thought, well, why have all this reserve when this needs to be done? You know, and so, uh, things like that were, and I, and I admit that not being a financial type of guy, I took the camp to the edge a few times. <laughs> but God always provided and, uh, and, you know, these were, you know, we, we weren't frivolous. So, um, I'm not sure. I, I hope I left it better. a better place. Yeah. If, if nothing else, enthusiasm and vision, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what they're doing there, not that it wasn't there before, but, um, with the staff. Well, you have added some, uh, some theological direction to the camp that right. it didn't necessarily have before you got there. Right. And, and I know this because I got saved at the camp. I've been somewhat involved with the camp and, and knowledgeable of the camp before I ever met you. But then more, much more so since you have been there directing it. That's be- true. Because you and I are much on the same theological mm-hmm. page, almost entirely on the same theological page. Your approach to evangelism, your approach to discipleship, your approach to gospel proclamation is much more, I'm much more comfortable with that than I was with where the camp was at That's true. even a decade ago. Yeah. So you've, you've added a, a theological anchor, as it were, to the camp environment where the emphasis is not on numbers and decisions and asking Jesus into your heart and getting rededications and the, the emotional appeals right. of evangelism, the altar calls and stuff like that. It, it is more gravitated toward a faithful, clear communication of the gospel, and then let's leave the results with God. That's why I keep bringing you on board. Mm-hmm. You just needed me to answer that you, question for you. Yeah, you need you uh, you um, enunciate that better than anybody that I've heard. That that whole gospel thing that I want my the staff to hear yeah. every staff training, you know, and right. stuff like that. So you're right. Yeah, but that's your contribution, not mine. Well, no, that's no, no. I do some of the I training. I just recognize. <laughs> That I liked what you were saying, and I wanted everybody to hear it. So, uh, but you, but that would not have been possible without the 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 same theology at the helm guiding the ship, as it were, right. and being willing to say this is where we're steering the ministry of the camp, and yeah. we, we want to get away from this, and we want to get back to. And I think it's this. gonna, I think it's gonna stay in that direction. I have no, because lo and behold, Robert McDowell loves it, you know, yeah, and uh, we just, we there's still some tweaking to do, but. But and, and as long good, as you keep involved, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got other guys. You got other good guys that are there involved. Uh, Tim's very Dan Nickerson, Tim Carr, Robert yeah. McDowell. These are all guys that uh, can be trusted to yeah. keep the ship. Steve straight. Massey. Yeah. yeah. There's some some good men there. Some good guys. Um, so now, what are some ways that we can pray for you in the next several months or years? Um, Specific prayer requests. Well, for right now, this um, whole moving thing. Um, the, packing up, getting yeah, ready to move. Yeah, the packing the up, transition. the moving, the transition. The, it's, I guess it's the one thing we've never done is reduce everything down to a few suitcases. 
when you're, you know, when you're leaving. And I realize that the house is, is furnished, but, uh, it's just the process here. You know, we're, we're starting to throw everything that we want to take from here, but, you know, and then just, so there's just the getting the process done. We've moved lots of times, but, um, and funding, if people want to support your ministry, there's always room to get a pay raise. We'll always, uh, uh, graciously accept a uh-huh. support, even if you wait and three years. And that support goes through Southside Community Church, and we get 100% of it. <laughs> Isn't that something? Because none of it goes to overhead. Right. right. Yeah. So. Um, and then. You can pray for me during this move, because. She's hurting. My hip is giving me a real problem, so. Yeah. Her, and uh, his back gets really bad. Yeah. Thank God for vitamin I, ibuprofen. <laughs> ibuprofen. Um, and then just the, the transition down there, you know, the, the staff had to make the adjustment for the guy that covered for me last semester, and now they've got one more to make. And, uh, and that has been the problem over the last four or five years is leadership keeps changing. Yeah. And, uh, and they've said they, we need somebody here that's going to be here a while. And so are you there for the long term? We, yeah. Are there for a few I years? mean, we're there until God says. God moves you on. Yeah. What do, what do you see as the future for Bruce and Linda Morrock when you retire? Retire. <laughs> well, I, uh. Share what you shared with me earlier. Okay. Station wagon. Huh? Station wagon and, uh, oh. and the, uh, the retirement plan. Well, I was going to say. I've looked at my retirement accounts recently and it'll be, we will have to be 320 <laughs> years old before we can retire <laughs> at the rate we're going. So, oh yeah, that was, <clears throat> I mean, I jokingly said to Linda because we had worked a couple of times with the migrants and it wasn't unpleasant work that, uh, that I might get a station wagon and a little camp trailer and we would follow the migrants, uh, starting in Arizona in the, in the, in the spring working our way north, you know, and usually that season ends around October, apple season, um, even up into Canada, up into the Okanagan Valley, and then and then we would head south and winter in Arizona and get ready to pick grapefruits again in the spring and and uh and minister among the migrants there. But until God opens a door for that, you are yeah. just gonna go to Pueblo. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be there for four years, then we'll reevaluate. We'll just look at where are, where we are in our life and um you know we're not kids anymore so we have to look at those kinds of things too but as long as god grants us health we'll serve somewhere yeah so now the part we've all been waiting for what is the dumbest thing you've ever done <laughs> wow tell us tell us the story in all its beautiful detail okay yeah well here i am run, running my teeth along my mouth huh <laughs> Um, well, one night, uh, how old were you? Old enough to know better. (laughs) I wish I could say I was like 10 or eight, but then you could say, oh, wow, that explains it. I have a 10 year old. I have a 10 year old. Yeah. I was, I was probably 15 or 16 or I hope I wasn't any older than that. Um, I was in high school probably a sophomore or junior in high school. And um, I was sitting home one night reading a Sports Illustrated magazine. Can you believe they 
had Sports Illustrated back then. Yeah. It was on papyri. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a story there, and this is all part of the story. Okay. There was a story there about this lineman whose name was Tim Rosovich, played for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was nuts. Just a man after my own heart, you know. And uh, and it, it told a lot of the insane, crazy things that, that he did. Uh, you know, one time he was going to race somebody, so he drank a quart of motor oil. Um, uh, just all sorts of crazy things like that. You know, the guy was a daredevil and basically was an idiot. <clears throat> While I'm reading that article, getting towards the end of it, my friends come over and say, hey, let's go out. I said, great. So I am hyped. <laughs> I just, this guy, I think. Is your idol. This guy is great, you know. <laughs> Um, one time he was, uh, in a contest to see who could, who could, uh, dive closest to the cliffs in Palo Alto, California. So he just dove into the cliffs, just stuff like that. You know, he drove his, rode his bicycle off the 52nd row of the bleachers. Just, so we go out and we're, and we're, uh, you can edit this out later. But yeah, oh, I will. Actually, sober. Okay. <laughs> Which was very rare for me in high school. Trust okay. me, Bruce. Nobody will ever hear what you're about to say. <laughs> so, um, we uh, we go to Dunkin' Donuts, the first place we stop, and um, and there we get in a fight. And all three of us were involved in this fight supposedly while we were in the dunkin donuts we offended this guy's girlfriend and all we were doing was being friendly like i always am you know and uh and so he this uh the boyfriend came out and slammed my friend up against the wall and turns out he was like the state champion wrestler high school wrestler i didn't know that i didn't know the kid all I knew is I went to rescue my friend. He took me and slammed me against the wall. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Uh, but friend number three was very big and very strong. And they ended up locking hands. And this wrestler could tell that it wasn't going to go well with him if he threw a punch. And we ended up being friends or whatever, you know. And the next stop was at uh, my my girlfriend's house. Uh, in the basement of my girlfriend's house, we're all sitting around just chatting. Uh, I don't know if we were eating popcorn or what we were doing, but uh, we start talking about Buckingham Palace guards. And in that conversation, why don't you know? Why don't they fall forward? They don't pass out. And I don't remember the exact conversation, but at one point, somebody said, "Well, when you fall forward, you automatically." Put your hands in front of you. You you have to. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Let me and, show you. And I disproved it, sort of, kind of. Put my hands behind my back and fell forward in the basement of this girl's house. Okay. Indoor, outdoor carpeting, but it was nice and hard. <laughs> and uh, I shattered... 11 teeth in my mouth and had 30 stitches across here. And I broke my jaw here, here, and here. <laughs> and uh, and felt really stupid. For those of you listening by tape, that's three places. Yeah, three places. <laughs> here, here, and three, here. Three, three. And this this one was the worst. And it the this part actually flopped like this. 
So they ended up having to put a splint under my tongue and, and lock that into place for three months. So anyway, that definitely qualifies. Did you pull your hands out and catch yourself? I did not. So you proved. But, uh, I don't, I don't know that I consciously remember saying, Oh, I'm in trouble if I continue on this course, <laughs> like having my face slam against the, you know, instead of, so I actually buckled my knees. I bent my knees at the last minute. I was already committed. Uh, but he but, could have pulled his hands out, but he didn't. They were tied. But anyway, my knees actually touched the ground first and that snapped my head back. So that actually, God saved my life. I think if I'd have hit on my face, I probably would have drove this back up into my head and I wouldn't be telling the story, but who knows? But anyway, that, that, I've done a lot of stupid things, but that was definitely one of them. How long did it take you to heal from that? A couple of years. All the king's horses and all the king's men took a couple of years to put me back together again. Yeah, I had a. And now they're putting him back together again because now all these teeth have to be redone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was very, very good work, all the rebuilding in my mouth. The first thing they had to do, of course, was lock the jaw shut. And they they wired it tight for three months, and then they wired it with those minuscule rubber bands for another three months. So six months, I couldn't eat solids. So, and uh, and I lost a lot of weight, and back then I didn't have any to lose. So, but anyway, that's, yeah, that was definitely stupid. Well, I did many Stupid we'll points. have to save the rest of them for the next interview. Yes. Which we will do. We'll pull oh. some more out of those out of the hat. Yeah, sounds good. So, Well, thank you very much for taking the time, and may God richly bless you as you go to Pueblo. Well, thank you. Serve him. Yeah, thank thanks you. For, yeah. Thanks, Linda.